welcome to A Language I Love Is, a podcast all about languages, linguistics, and love. I'm Danny, your host, and this episode will find us beside the Baltic Sea as we listen to Johanna Laxo share her love for the Estonian language. Johanna is here to provide a wealth of information about the cultural context and linguistic ingredients that have gone into making the modern language, and her long-term love for Estonian is clear for all to hear. My guest today, I'm delighted to say, joining me all the way from Finland is Professor Johanna Laxo. Professor Laxo currently works at the University of Vienna, and as well as her work on social and political issues relating to language and linguistics, she has a particular focus on the Uralic family of languages, a big language family with a big geographical spread across Eurasia, with some very famous members that I think you at home will have heard of. And she's joining me today to talk about one member of this family that she really enjoys and that she also researches. So, Johanna, uh, how are you today? How are you doing? I'm very, very excited and happy to be on this podcast. Thanks for having me. I, I'm delighted to have you. Now, this really means a great deal. You are helping the podcast to grow just by being here and you've really supported it so far. So I think we had to make this happen. So... The way this works, you know, uh, as someone who's listened to the episode so far, is that we're talking today just about one language, a language that you have a particular fondness for. So please tell me, what is a language that you love? My language is Estonian, which is pretty closely related to my native language, Finnish, but it is also something like the first love of my academic life, the first foreign language, which I studied outside school after graduating from high school, and also a language for which I also have a linguistic interest, because Estonian is a wonderful example of so many really, really interesting issues. I hope to be able to show you a few of them (laughs) during this conversation. Super. I, I firmly believe that you will. I hope that I'll give you a proper chance to to share your enthusiasm for all these interesting features of Estonian. First, as always, I think it's very important that you and I work to build up a profile for this language, a kind of a language bio. Um, so first things first, where in the world can we find the Estonian language and its speakers? As you already said, Estonian is a member of the Uralic or Finno-Ugric language family, and more precisely, the Finnic branch of it. The Finnic languages are spoken on both uh, sides of the Gulf of Finland, that is in Finland and in Estonia, the two nation states, and in the neighboring areas also. Traditionally, they were also spoken around the End, eastern end of the Gulf of Finland, where Peter the Great then founded his new capital city in the first years of the 18th century. But originally there has been something like a continuum of dialects across this area. So the Finnic languages, you could compare them to the mainland West Germanic, for instance, like the various uh, German and Dutch uh, varieties. They are pretty closely related to each other, and some of them are really close to each other. Estonian 
is also a nation state language. It's uh, the national language, the sole national language in the Republic of Estonia. And there are also diasporas outside Estonia. In Finland, Estonian is now the second greatest immigrant language. So there are tens of thousands of Estonians in Finland. It's a pretty recent immigration, that is, after the, the collapse of the Soviet Union and after Estonia joined the European Union and the mobility of workforce became possible. So most of these Estonians are working in Finland and there are really thousands of them now. Contacts between Finnish and Estonian have also been close and I'd like to talk a little bit more about them when we get to the history of the Estonian language. Super. Okay, well, we definitely will. The first question, though, that comes to my mind is that, as you say, we have Finnish and we have Estonian, and they're separated by the Gulf of Finland, this body of water, not the largest body of water in the world. You can go across it by ferry, takes a couple of hours. So we've got not a great genealogical and geographic distance between uh, your native language, Finnish, and Estonian across the water. So I'm wondering, what does Estonian sound like to you as a Finnish speaker? How much of it do you understand? That's a very good question. It's also interesting because there is a huge asymmetry in the intelligibility between Finnish and Estonian, which is historically and culturally motivated. That is, Finns don't know very much about Estonian, usually. There are, of course, hundreds of Finns or perhaps even thousands who are interested in Estonia and who have friends and acquaintances in Estonia and who like the language. But an average Finn won't understand very much about Estonian. If you, as a Finnish speaker, uh, are shown a text, an authentic text in Estonian, let's say a newspaper article, you won't be able to read it to understand it completely, but you will recognize lots and lots of familiar words. But These may also include lots and lots of false friends. There are really dozens of words which look similar but mean something completely different. A couple of classics like pulmat in Estonian is wedding. Finnish pulmat means problems. Or the word kalju in Estonian, it's the rock cliff. It's also used as a men's given name, just like etymologically, just like Peter which also goes back to the Greek word for rock or cliff. In Finnish, kalju means a bald head. So it's definitely very funny for a Finn to see an Estonian man with this name. I'm thinking then just to try and make some rough comparisons. Within the languages of Western Europe, would the proximity between Finnish and Estonian be like, say, German and Dutch or Spanish and Italian? What do you think about that? Something like that. And actually, uh, you mentioned Spanish and Italian. Perhaps Italian and French might be an even better analogy, because Estonian is, in this respect, quite like French. Estonian has gone through a lot of reductive sound changes. So unstressed uh, vowels and syllables fall away, and words get much shorter and are almost difficult to recognize because of this, while Finnish is much more conservative, like Italian is closer to Latin. Right, okay, yes, so that does sound like a pretty good analogy then for these two languages. Those then gives us a sense of the differences between uh, Finnish and Estonian, but as you've said already, these languages do have so much in common. So let's dive into those similarities. What is the 
ancestry of the Estonian language? Where does it come from? And how then does it connect to the Finnish language and to other languages of that corner of Europe? Estonian and Finnish both descend from something we call Proto-Finnic, which we can reconstruct pretty well. And now it is usually assumed that this Proto-language was spoken somewhere Perhaps in present-day Estonia, or not very far from there, south of the Gulf of Finland. And when these Finnic language varieties then started spreading in different directions, including Finland, of course the connections gradually broke. The Finnic branch in itself is interesting because among the branches of Uralic, it is very, very strongly influenced by Indo-European languages. We have really considerable layers of uh, old loanwords from Germanic and Baltic in particular, which were already borrowed into Proto-Finnic, so they are in Finnish and Estonian and all other Finnic languages as well. And there are really hundreds of them, and they are often quite important cultural items, but also there are words which are, for instance, we have body part terms like Estonian luk, Finnish leuka, chin, which is probably a Baltic loanword. And this means that the contacts between those early Baltic speakers, probably speakers of a northern Baltic variety, which has gone extinct, obviously the speakers of this, uh, this Baltic language variety were linguistically assimilated. So the contacts have been really, really close. The same thing with Germanic. We have uh, lots of old Germanic loanwords in uh, all Finnic languages, which were borrowed already into Proto-Finnic. And the famous examples which are often mentioned are loanwords like kuningas, king, which is almost identical to the reconstructable Proto-Germanic form, and also showing how conservative the Finnic languages can be. But there are also even body part terms like Finnish maha, belly, abdomen, or stomach, which doesn't have a good cognate in Estonian. Actually, there are Germanic loanwords covering all walks of life, we can say. So the contacts with the Germanic speakers, whatever they were, were also very, very intense. Another interesting thing, of course, is that these Germanic contacts have gone on up to the present day. In Estonia, this meant the, perhaps we can call it colonization, uh, through the German Teutonic Order, this, the German knights who came in the early 12th and 13th century and established something like a German language dominance in the northern part of the Baltic area. And that's actually throughout something like 600 years, German was the dominant language, first Low German and then High German. It was the most important contact language for Estonian. And so we have actually a smooth continuum of contacts with Germanic. Just like in Finland, we had Swedish as the dominant language. That's a really nice callback to episode three of this podcast with George Walkden, who talked about Old Saxon and then Low German, this language that through trade, through the Hanseatic League, is then spread through the Baltic Sea and, you know, great source of German influence on that particular region. Okay, great. So then, would it be fair to say then that while Estonian is absolutely not an 
Indo-European language. It doesn't belong to that family. It's not related genealogically to, say, Russian or to Lithuanian and Latvian. It is very much a European language. It's been part of the European linguistic scene now for centuries, and it's showing layers upon layers of influence right down to the level of, of body parts. I mean, that says to me, uh, you know, very, very strong and very intense contact uh, between the languages of that region. Could you go into a little bit about the grammar, though, of these languages? Grammar is the level of language where it tends to be a lot more durable to outside influence. Words can be borrowed quite easily, but not so much the grammar. So what would be the distinct features of Estonian at the grammatical level that really makes it look like a Finno-Ugric language? That's a really excellent question. As you said, Estonian is a very European language, and Estonian linguists nowadays are very keen on this. They they, uh, they very much like pointing out how European Estonian is and how Estonian is even approaching the what we call standard average European language type. That is, uh, Estonian is developing characteristics which are bringing it closer and closer to the major Western European languages, in fact. But if we start with the uh, grammar of the uh, Uralic languages or Finnish languages like Finnish and Estonian and others, basically these languages have rich morphology. That is, we inflect the words a lot. Each word has lots and lots of different forms. And these inflections are typically expressed with suffixes. That is, we have endings, little grammatical elements which are added to the end of the word. And in an ideal agglutinative language, this works like building with Legos. You have these little thingies which you attach to each other, and they remain constant. They preserve their form, and you will see the seams. They remain, in a certain sense, separable, even if they are put together. And uh, they can form quite long and complicated chains, especially in language like Finnish. Now, Estonian is moving away from this type. Estonian has lost a few features which are otherwise very typical of the Finno-Uric languages. Like, for instance, we have in all Uralic languages, basically, we have what we call possessive suffixes. That is, small endings which we add to the end of the word which uh, mark the possessor person. Like in Finnish, we can say auto is a car, autoni is my car. In all of Finnic, and actually even also in the neighboring branch, the Samic languages, the possessive suffixes are actually receding. They are used less and less. And in Estonian, they have been completely lost. There are some historical remnants only in, in some words left, but nothing productive anymore. They are not actively used anymore at all. Or the so-called negative auxiliary, which is also very typical of most Uralic languages, that is the word for no, is a verb. It's inflected in person, but Estonian has lost this inflection. And there is only one negation word, a, which is used for all persons. Now, these changes, so they can be partly internally motivated. That is, they are partly natural developments. Languages tend to lose stuff get more and more simple just because of the laziness of human beings. We want to minimize our effort. But on the other hand, there are also contacts with point to the same direction. This is also what we can see in Estonian. 
in this typological change, which we can observe that is Estonian is turning into a language which is in a certain way really different from many other Uralic languages. Final question then in this language profile that we're building up for Estonian is simply, how is it written down? What's the writing system like for Estonian? Is it very recognizable and very distinct? Well, of course, Estonian uses the Latin alphabet. There was a written language was created uh, after the Lutheran Reformation and by mostly German-speaking clergy. The orthography has changed Since then, there was a radical reform of the orthography in the late 19th century, where they managed to get rid of some features inherited from the logic of the German orthography and less well suited for the structure of Estonian. So Estonian has a Latin-based orthography, which resembles perhaps German in that you have the U umlaut for U, and then you also have the other umlaut characters. A umlaut and O umlaut for E and Ö. And then there is one thing which is really unique, which helps you recognize that an Estonian text is the, the mid-vowel U, which is written with this O with a tilde, that is this wave-shaped thingy above the O. This was something which was devised by an Estonian, Otto Wilhelm Masing, who was one of the first literati, let's say, of a really Estonian descent in the early 19th century, because until then, Estonian had been used in writing mostly by German speakers, that is Baltic German clergymen, uh, who write in the early Estonian grammars, you can see uh, comments on this ö sound that was written with the o umlaut, sometimes being pronounced in an unclear or impure way. But they didn't really understand that it is a different vowel until Otto Wilhelm Masing came along and created a separate character for it. Now, I'm very historically minded, and I'm just wondering then, those writings by the German Lutherans for the Estonian language, are they our earliest sources for Estonian? They are the first real texts. There are Individual words and names and even phrases, the really, really first source we have is the Chronicle of Henry of Latvia. It's the chronicle of the so-called Northern Crusades, that is the Teutonic Order, these German knights who came to the Baltic countries to bring Christianity and establish their power. And there was really this This uh, Henry of Latvia, we don't know very much about his person or his background, but he wrote this chronicle and included some words and names and phrases. And there are even some very short sentences, like the story of these Estonian heathens of the island of Sarema, who had taken a priest captive and tortured him, hitting him with clubs and saying, Laula, Laula, Papi, sing, sing, priest. Oh, wow. Okay. That's what an interesting first source for the language. Um, not great for the priest, but great for us linguists today. Super. Well, that's been a fantastic introduction to Estonian. I'm feeling all the more educated already. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. 
So as is the format of this whole podcast, this next section is all about you. It's all about letting the listeners get to know you a little bit better, getting to know your career as a linguist, how you came to be studying what you currently study, but really specifically with regards to the Estonian language. What is your relationship over the course of your life to the Estonian language? Well, Estonian really was the first language I learned to love in my academical life. And part of this was because there was something like a cultural shock for me when I started studying Estonian. It was back in olden times when there still was the Iron Curtain between Estonia and Finland. Estonians had some contact with the Finnish language, especially people on the northern coast of Estonia, like in the capital city of Tallinn. They could listen to the Finnish radio and watch Finnish TV. The Soviet authorities tried to jam them, but it, they weren't very successful. So many Estonians, especially in the northern parts of the country, had some kind of a passive knowledge of Finnish. But Finns knew very little about Estonia and about Estonian. Okay, we knew that there is this country which is now part of the Soviet Union and they speak a language which is very much like ours, but not very much more. Very little about the history of Estonia and very little about the Estonian language. And then to discover a whole language, a culture, which you had learned very, very little about. There's a culture which is in many respects quite different from that of Finland because Estonia was part of the German cultural sphere, actually. So not a Nordic country, definitely not the part of this Scandinavian cultural sphere like Finland. So there are there were some huge cultural differences. There was a literature which was very little known in Finland. And so I just enjoyed learning to know a new language, completely new culture, so close especially if you have a closely related language in which you will acquire the basic grammar very, very fast because most of the basic grammar, most of the inflectional morphology, although there are differences, most of it is really in common. And uh, the vocabulary, after you get the first uh, regular sound changes, you get the, to understand the regular differences, it will be really easy to learn the rest. And do you remember visiting Estonia for the first time and being among the Estonian people and the Estonian language after independence? Yes, of course. It was a, a really, really strange feeling. But actually, it's already started in 1988 when the Soviet Union still existed, but people had started to openly talk about freedom and independence. And actually, a linguistically interesting point. One of the first steps to this new culture of freedom in Estonia was the uh, issues of the relationship between Estonian and Russian were openly thematized like this influence of Russian on Estonian because so many texts were translated from Russian in the Soviet Union, of course, to, to all other languages. Although Estonian really, really resisted these influences Uh, there was a very active tradition of vocabulary planning all the time, for instance, and there was a real resistance towards the Russian language. Uh, in the census in the Soviet Union, also in Estonia, people were asked about the languages they know and speak, and especially whether they know Russian. The proportion of people who reported having a good knowledge of Russian 
sank and sank from year to year. And of course, this has very little to do with the people's actual language knowledge and more of what they wanted to know. Right. So would you say then that uh, despite all the modern history between the two countries, Russian has had a pretty light influence on the Estonian language today compared to, say, the influence of Low German, and that is deliberate. That is deliberate language policy by Estonians. Yes. As concerns the Soviet period, that is, from the Second World War to the collapse of the Soviet Union, it's definitely so. In the earlier history, it's a little bit more complicated because Estonia was incorporated by Russia, already practically in the late 17th or 18th century. But there was, at the local level, there was this German-speaking upper class, which remained there in place and was also dominant in the in the local administration and in education and so on. So German was, at the local level, very much the dominant language. And with the strengthening of uh, the role of Russian in the 19th century, something came about uh, which can be called a trilingual regime in many parts of Estonia. That is, the people spoke Estonian, of course, but the educated people had to know both German and Russian. And for instance, civil servants, or with the beginning of the urbanization you and, and, and modernization in Estonia within customer service, for instance, what was often required was, as they say in Estonian, three local languages. That is, you were supposed to know these three languages to, to be able to function properly. Right, I see. So this is a complicated picture. This is perhaps unique within the borders of the Soviet Union. It reminds me, and you can correct me if I've got this wrong, I've had the pleasure to visit Estonia just once and to visit Tallinn. And I remember the centre of the city being the Tompea, the hill, which is the old town of Tallinn. And I believe Tom is from German Dorm. It's, it's the cathedral, as you might find in Cologne. Yes, yes, and, and it's really, it's it's a beautiful Hansa city, like you would see in northern Germany. So Estonia in the Middle Ages was very much part of this low German cultural sphere of the, of the Baltic region. So far, through the first two sections of this episode, you have amply demonstrated your enthusiasm and your long-term commitment to the Estonian language, so that's great. Let's get a little bit more of that enthusiasm then, and can you tell me and everyone listening, what is something, a particular linguistic feature, that you just love about Estonian? Okay, there is a fun fact which I always tell people who are curious about Estonian. Estonian is the only language I know which has an inflectional class just for the word for beer. <laughs> it's a longer story, actually. In languages like Estonian, we have inflectional classes because the language is no more clearly agglutinative. In a language like Finnish, you just add the suffixes to the end of the word and then you get the new word form. But in a language like Estonian, Estonian works quite uh, like German in many respects, or like the Germanic languages, in that we have stem alternations, something like in, in, in German you have the, and partly even in English, you have the umlaut plurals, like man, men. And Estonian has these word stem changes, quite a lot of them, 
And often even some suffixes have got lost, especially the genitive suffix, which is a very important case. And so there's nothing to tell the genitive apart from the basic form of the noun, except that there is some kind of a stem change. The word's root itself is different. And how these words change then, what happens when you inflect them? There are very many different types of them, such changes. You start having something like, uh, you perhaps know if you have studied language like Latin, where there are different declensions, there is not a genitive ending per se, but there are words in which the genitive looks like this, and then there is another declension where the genitive looks like that. Uh, in Estonian, according to the Standard Dictionary of Standard Estonian from 2018, there are basically 26 inflection types for nouns which means that when you study Estonian, you have to memorize not just the basic form, but also some other forms to get an idea of how this word is inflected. But there are even more subtypes. And really the word for a beer, ulu in Estonian, is inflected quite uniquely in many ways. So you can say it has an inflection class of its own. That is brilliant. I love it as well. And like I said, I mean, to a learner, this is quite a lot to take in, even with the fun features like a class just for beer. But we linguists, though, we're the people who are so keen to demonstrate that often very simple processes are going on that may create what seems to be chaos. There's very regular processes that we humans are doing to create all this variation. So what's going on? in Estonian. What has created this great variety? Estonian has a lot of reductive sound changes, that is, uh, elements are just eroded. They get lost because they are no more needed. This is a very natural process and occurs with many languages. Take a word like uh, the word for bread. It's in Finnic, it's an old Germanic loan word. It's related to the English word loaf, and it's a leipä, in Finnish and Leib in Estonian. So Estonian has lost the end vowel. The genitive is Leivan in Finnish and Estonian is just Leiva. The N is lost, but the stem vowel, which was lost in the basic form, in the nominative form, the stem vowel is preserved. And so the genitive form is now the one with the historical stem vowel. But you can't call it a suffix because the stem vowels, of course, they are different for each word. We have different vowels in the second, in the original second syllable. And so in order to learn the word for bread and to use it in Estonian, okay, the word is leib, but it has an a in the stem when it's inflected. And it also has what we call the consonant gradation. So the B is turns into a V and so on and so forth. So you'll have to memorize different forms or you have an inflectional class for it. So Estonian is getting more and more like the so-called fusional languages like German, for instance. So this is often explained classically uh, with these reductive sound changes. These end Vowels and end consonants just get dropped. They are eroded because people are lazy and want to minimize the effort when pronouncing words. But of course, there's also this major typological drift here towards a type which is more like German, for instance. And now this brings us to this very, very fascinating question of uh, what is contact induced in language change and what is internally motivated and whether and how you can separate this from each other. 
I see. So this very much taps into the whole matter of contact and how, as we said, Estonian may not be Indo-European, but it's very much European. Teasing out what is German influence, what is internal to the language must be very complicated. Do you have a sense within these general changes within Estonian of where the origins may lie? I believe that very often this is about uh, something like multiple causation. So if we go look at sound change or language change in detail, we find processes with, which can be externally motivated and we find possible internal motivations and these two are often intertwined. So I believe in very many cases these changes have both an external and an internal motivation. The third question and the fourth section of this podcast, I would like you to leave our listeners with something that they should take away, a point where they can go out into their daily life and think, huh, I now know that about Estonian. Perhaps use this down the pub someday in the future when they're talking to their new Estonian friends. So tell me, what is something that you think we should know about the Estonian language? Have something that is interesting to know and something which the Estonians themselves are very proud of. I believe I already mentioned that Estonian has a very strong tradition of language planning and especially vocabulary planning. New words are created. Of course, there are also there are lots of loan words in Estonian. Also in the 19th century with the national awakening when they started to really develop and standardize the modern Estonian language. Uh, words were also borrowed from Finnish, for instance, because Finnish was the more conservative, archaic language. But very many words were developed from inherited elements in the language, taken from the dialects. This also, these are processes which took place in many other languages, especially in Eastern Europe in that time when these languages were developed. But Estonian is quite unique in that there were many words which were created basically out of nothing, uh, ex nihilo, as we say. So there was especially Johannes Avik, who was perhaps rather a poet than a linguist, but a very act a language activist and developer of the Estonian language, who uh, had a very strong confidence or very high respect for the aesthetic qualities of the language. He thought Estonian should be developed into something more beautiful. And he thought that when new words are needed, we should just create them on the basics of aesthetics and sound symbolism. And for instance, for the word for crime, which in Estonian, there was only compound word, so literally something like evil deed, and that sounds very naive. And we need simple word for such a concept which is important and central in a European society, like crime. And so let's let it be roim. It must start with an R, which is brutal, and have something like a diphthong and end with a nasal consonant to give it something like an eerie echo, as he said. And he was perhaps a little bit too successful with this because this uh, roim uh, is actually perceived as something it's not used to, for any crime, but it's something like, I don't know, murder or something like that. But quite a few of these new words which Avik and some others created out of nothing, basically, have remained in the language. Like, for instance, weapon, which is relv, 
we can say that uh, probably Avik was thinking of words like revolver uh, somewhere in the back of his head. But anyway, the word relv uh, remains in the Estonian language. Uh, I cannot imagine the Estonian language without it. Or another example, the corpse or dead body is leib, which of course resembles the word, German word leib. But uh, again, Avik claims it was simply for its phonetic characteristics. And this a tradition of creating words, either building them from inherited elements or even just on the, base of, on the base of sound symbolism is still alive in Estonia. Just a few years ago, there was a competition declared by the then president of Estonia to create Estonian expressions, words for some important concepts like infrastructure, for instance. Now we know in Estonian it's taristu. And if, I'm, if I may add, so this is, of course, it's possible because we have a relatively small language community, a small nation, which is highly literate. And so Estonians are generally, they are literate, they are educated, and everybody accepts this idea, okay, our language must be planned, it must, it must be developed, and it's okay that somebody develops new words for our language, and then we read about these new words in the newspaper, perhaps, or we have taught them, uh, we learn them at school, and then we start using them. Fascinating. Well, this has been a real treat. I feel like I've learned a great deal about Estonia and Estonians, the people. So the next time I'm in beautiful Tallinn or Tartu, I will be all the more educated and ready to talk about this great language. All that remains for me to say now is just thank you very much, Johanna. Really, thank you for giving up your time and joining me today. Thanks to you for inviting me. This was really a pleasure. As discussed by Johanna, the Finnic languages of Northern Europe have been in intense contact with the Germanic languages for centuries. This contact is responsible for the many Finnish words of Germanic origin, like rengas, which means ring, and is related to the English word. To my knowledge, there may even be one example of a Germanic word entering Finnic and then being given back to Germanic languages centuries later. The story behind this fun fact goes that at a very early stage in the history of Germanic, there was a word like stagna, meaning a haystack. It's the origin of today's English word stack. Yet stagna also passed at a prehistoric point into proto-Finnic, becoming sakna through assimilation to Finnic sounds. Its meaning shifted too going from meaning a stack of something to a stove or some place for heating. Sakna has since become saun in Estonian, and sauna in Finnish, the recognisable source of the modern and global word sauna. That's everything for this episode of A Language I Love Is. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate, recommend, and reshare the podcast. Your support is really helping the show to grow. Till the next time, then. Bye-bye.